Hello and welcome to the Additive Insight podcast, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence. I'm Laura Griffiths, TTT Head of Content, and for this episode we're bringing you another editorial roundtable covering the biggest and most read stories from the last month. And for that I'm joined by our senior content producer, Sam Davis. Hey Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. You and I have been pretty busy over the last few weeks putting together our European a North American magazine, so this actually feels like a bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like the, this week alone has been very busy in terms of news. I feel like we could have done this roundtable just on that alone, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's been a very busy month, I think. Um, yeah. As soon as we've kind of got all of the mag stuff out of the way, about four things that are pretty major news drop on our desk, so yeah, busy few weeks. Well, that's the thing. You and I had already kind of selected the stories we wanted to do. And then as soon as that conversation happened, more news came out yesterday that felt relevant. But some of that we're covering on our newsletter for this weekend. And as you say, we have covered some pretty major news stories over on tctmagazine.com over the last few weeks. And we're going to talk about four of those today. So we're going to cover Stratasys acquiring RPS X1, launching a new office-friendly metal 3D printer based on Rapidia's water-based technology. Desktop Metal launching an upgraded version of its studio system and the DMC integrating Enable Manufacturing's additive casting technology. So firstly, this Stratasys RPS news follows quite a pattern that we talked about on the last roundtable episode for consolidation and acquisitions happening in the industry um, over the last few months, towards the end of last year. And and some of that includes those made by Stratasys as well. Mm -hmm. Sam, you've got the full story here and I know you spoke to both Stratasys and RPS. Yeah, I did. I spoke to them on... uh... So we record this on a Thursday, I spoke to them last Friday, um, a day after they'd announced it. Um, and yeah, like you said, <clears throat> I think I think because Stratasys had, you know, announced the takeover of Origin literally just a couple of months ago, we probably thought that would be it from Stratasys yeah. for a while. But um, <clears throat> quite quickly after that, they've made another move um, again to kind of broaden their polymer 3D printing offering. Um with the acquisition of RPS, which is a UK-based uh, SLA 3D printing company, has its background in uh, 3D printing and rapid prototyping services, but a few years back decided to bring to market its own stereolithography system, uh, the NEO 800, with a NEO 450 series following uh, in the autumn of last year. Uh, the technology's been deployed in, in motorsport and automotive, um, you know, the likes of Briggs Automotive, uh, using it for prototypes, um, which you know I think you've you've spoken to them in the past, Laura, and a host of service providers um, also lean on its capabilities. And it, it turns out, having done uh, extensive testing of the technology, um, including throwing suicide builds um, at it through some of those service provider users, Stratasys considers uh, the technology that RPS has. Um, as best in class and you know despite already launching its own SLA offering a couple of years ago has decided the best way to move forward is actually by integrating what RPS offers and slowly phasing out what they brought to market in the the V650 flex machine um, which I think they launched at AMUG um, maybe the last physical AMUG we had 
Um, they did. And I, I feel like that was the last time we saw anything off that machine, mm -hmm. maybe when it when it launched. So th I, this is the bit that you and I probably found the most interesting immediately when this news broke. We were like, well, what, what does that mean for the V650 Flex? Then are they still going to do anything with that? Because we've not really heard much about that machine in terms of customer stories or any application studies, anything like that. Whereas, as you've just mentioned, the, the Neo series has really mm -hmm. wrapped up quite a lot of high profile users across automotive and also service providers as well. So yeah, I mean, it. it, it I, I'm glad that they've kind of confirmed now that they are gonna be phasing that out and it does make sense that they would then go ahead with this bigger mm -hmm. technology. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, we've not heard an awful lot about that machine since it was launched, but um, I, I do believe there are users of it. Um, Stratasys have said that they'll continue to support and service the platform for um, at, at least seven more years, but long term, the RPS systems are gonna make up their SLA offering, and the you know they're pressing on now with uh, the integration of Stratasys CloudCAD software, um, as I mentioned in the press release, and they're also working to develop some new third-party material supplier partnerships. Um, and as you say, we we spoke to both of the companies last week, um, published a story on on Monday, and. The reasons for the acquisition taking place are, you know, pretty simple. From the RPS side, like Origin, they were they were convinced by Stratasys go to market channels, which they've built up over you know the best part of thirty years, and mm. RPS probably thought you know it's going to take them you know a good few years to build up anything quite like that, um, and so that made sense from them. And, and Stratasys is kind of <clears throat> on this mission now to you know deliver what it hopes to be the, the best and the first choice polygon 3D printing portfolio in the world. And so after adding a, a DLP technology through Origin, um, you know, in addition to its FDM and Polyjet solutions that it already has, it's it's now added, you know, an extensive SLA portfolio to that. Um, and one that's already, you know, been adopted by a fair few companies as we've, we've touched on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important that you say that because just based on numerous conversations you and I have had with various Stratasys personnel over the last few months, including on this podcast, I mean, it has been that that very bold message of they want to be this first choice, this this go-to for polymer 3D printing. And they've really not wasted any time in doing that over the last few months. And it, and it is it is interesting now to see how these companies are going to have an even bigger platform now integrated into that Stratasys portfolio. Mm -hmm. It does make you wonder, I think we did touch on this a little bit on an episode at the start of the year, but it does make me wonder what this means for Stratasys and the metals technology, which again is something we've not really had much of an update on, but um, mm. they they certainly seem to be doing what they've set out to do with the polymer side of things. Yeah, absolutely. It does sound like at the moment their focus is purely on polymer. I don't know whether we'll hear, um, you know, a bit later in the year about the metal side, but it's all gone. It's all gone quiet there. It is, you know, at the moment it seems to be um, kind of building out this polymer portfolio. Um, mm -hmm. They obviously won't. They won't um, be drawn into commenting on what what that involves next. But um, I, I'd be surprised if they stopped at just offering FDM Polyjet and an SLA. And now a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. 
Automaker printers offer industrial grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimega machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimegapod. But there are metal stories to talk about on this. That was a really rubbish segue, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> uh, the second story we're going to discuss is um, X1 launching this metal design lab printer based on Rapidia's water-based technology. Now, if you remember, uh, Rapidia is this Canadian startup which first demoed its water-based metal AM technology at the last Rapid Plus CCT in 2019. Uh, the process builds parts using this water-based metal paste known as Hydrofuse, which comes out of these two independent print heads and allows you to go from directly printing to the sintering furnace, so getting rid of that divining step that you commonly find in binding center processes. And of course, X1, as we know, is a pioneer of this metal binder jet style technology. Um, so the technology has now been brought to market via this partnership between both companies, um, including a new um, X1F advanced furnace as well for, um, to go with that complete workflow. Um, but it does also give X1 a right of first refusal for ma majority ownership of the company, which is quite interesting. Um, it's a really compact system. It is, you know, as, as it kind of says, office friendly, um, small, I don't want to say desktop size. We'll, we'll use the common phrase that we're hearing a lot now, workbench mm -hmm. size uh, system. Um, X1 has this huge portfolio of machines already. They're already they're either on their 10th or past their 10th metal binder jet platform now, um, but they haven't really done anything of this scale before. Um, they've always been more focused on industrial scale machines like the big 160 Pro and then the R&D type machines like the Innovent series. Um, but with this machine, X1 has said that the Metal Design Lab will um, compete directly with other bound metal 3D printing systems such as the Desktop Metal Studio System 2, which we'll talk about more shortly um, and the mark forge metal x as well so they they are saying they're going directly after that market and you know i i guess it does totally make sense that they would go in and connect with uh, the Rapidia guys because they've got such an interesting um, backstory as well which sam i know you touched on when you went when you covered this news you know a, a real a backstory in entrepreneurship and mm. um it is a really interesting technology. I, I saw it on the show floor at Rapid Plus TCT and got to, to um, kind of just handle some of the parts and they, they look really nice. They look really, really impressive. And um, X1 and Rapidia believe this technology will, will help enable users in office environments to at what they say is print parts today and receive them by tomorrow as opposed to waiting uh, multiple days. So I, I found this story really interesting to me. It totally <laughs> It, it, it totally makes sense and I think this is a really nice addition to X1's portfolio. We've spoken to X1 so much already this year. I mean, I spoke to their CEO John Hartner back in January just about their roadmap for this year and on the, the cover of, of our next, uh, sorry, of our current issue of TCT Magazine, they're kind of declaring 2021 as the year of Binajet technology and this is another company that is just not not stopped in terms of making sure they're covering every bit of that market. They really want to be the leader in terms of um, this kind of binder jet style technology. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, it's interesting, I think, and, you know, you mentioned it, but that they name checked um, Mark Forge and Desktop Metal in their announcement as mm -hmm. rivals because it just feels like the competition is properly hotting up in, in the, on the metal side of the industry. Um you know, you mentioned the Desktop Metal Studio 2 there, and 
I think I think that launch in itself was important for them because, <clears throat> I mean, I think there was about a week between these announcements, but by launching the Studio 2, in which it's, um, you know, taken a three-step process down to a two-step, removing the um, debind phase, mm-hmm. that, that's important because X1 here have got a two-step process. Um, yeah. I don't know how much they knew of that before <laughs> they were working on their Studio System 2, but you know they've they've got you know that to consider as well as you know just the general eliminating hurdles for their users um of the studio system which include the likes of ford bmw lockheed martin um Mm -hmm. you know they they also need to do it from a point of if they don't companies can just now go and you know act on and repeater are delivering um this kind of technology too Mm -hmm. And I'm not too sure of the, the cost of this Repedia um, technology in comparison to something like the, the desktop metal system. Um, I don't think we actually got a price around the time when, when they debuted because I, you know, I don't know if they weren't ready to go onto the market yet. But this technology is expected to land and um, the, the Repedia technology is expected to land in the second half of this year. So it'll be interesting to see what, what, what price point that comes out at to to compete with these other technologies. But as you mentioned, Sam, the, the desktop metal studio system too was launched um, just a couple of weeks uh, before this this announcement came out. So as you said, a, a really significant step for the company, especially when we are talking about these office-friendly systems, because mm. it's great when you look at the printer and you think, yep, that fits perfectly in office. It's a clean process. You know, there's no kind of toxic like, emissions coming out, things like that. But really, when you consider the three steps it takes this process, it kind of, it, it kind of reduces that desktop office friendliness I always find so the fact that now it is just this two-step process does make that feel much more real and, and much more um, just have much more of an impact really yeah absolutely I think I think you know desktop metal would admit that ideally it wouldn't have been a three-step process for process for the last couple of years you know as you say if it's going to be office friendly you also you kind of expect a speed and a and a kind of simplicity to it um and i I think you know as we as we mentioned with x1 you know desktop metal have been super busy in the last few months um i think when they went public um at the end of last year they alluded to this kind of thing happening that where they would look you know not only to add to their portfolio like they've done with bringing in envision tech but also improve what's already there and Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's now managed to make the studio system a two-stage process um and they've, they've done that with new material formulations and print profiles that um they say ensure more even shrinkage in the sintering process and it you know it means parts can now go straight from the printer into the sintering furnace without that step in the middle and you know ultimately users by by having access to the, the two-step process now should be able to minimize uh trial and error and they can move you know quicker through the workflow um mm-hmm. There's there's a broad portfolio of metals that are said to be on their way, uh, released later this year, uh, with stainless steel three one six L I think being the first to be rolled out. Um, and you know, and and I think there's a way that if users want to access the materials that have already been supported on the original machine, they they can do that, but they do have to use that debounder unit um, mm-hmm. to do so. Um, but there's I think there's other improvements on the studio system as well, including um the the new print profiles also work with 
the machine's heated build chamber to improve surface finish on sidewalls and support facing surfaces. Um, and and the press release said that vacuum sensor at temperatures up to fourteen hundred degrees is um, said to output parts that boast similar mechanical properties to metal powder industrial federation standards. Um, and <clears throat> and it's set to be shipped globally uh, within the next month or so. I think in the first quarter of of this year and uh, will be available as an upgrade to all existing users of the machine. Um, you know, I think they say there's hundreds across 30 countries, including, mm-hmm. um, you know, the likes of BMW, like we mentioned before, and Ford, Lockheed Martin, Stanley Black & Decker. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, sounds like a big improvement on, on what they're offering to market. Yeah, and I wonder for all those those hundreds of users, as you say, like what what does that mean for these these current systems? Are they just going to be doing away with these ones now? And does, does this completely replace the first studio system? I I'm not sure actually. Yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know whether they'll. I would imagine that they'd still be offering support for the the original mm-hmm. system, but I I don't know. Um, I don't think it was it was mentioned anywhere um, when they announced the machine. Um, you know, a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. And we've got more metals again in our last story now, but not 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 quite in the same way. Uh, so our fourth story, uh, this comes from the UK's new digital manufacturing centre. So this is a new facility set up by KW Special Projects founder Kieran Salter. So KW Special Projects is an advanced uh, manufacturing outfit which deals um, primarily with with the, the motorsport industry, but this new uh, massive facility at Silverstone Park in the UK aims to provide serial advanced manufacturing production, including additive manufacturing, to a number of industries. And uh, the DMC has announced a partnership with Enable Manufacturing that will make Enable's additive casting technology available to its customers uh, from March. So. Um, Quite an exciting um, place. We just spoke to Kieran Salter for the Through the Doors feature um, in the current issue of TCT magazine. So uh, we did speak uh, very briefly about this and how the um, how the facilities, even though there is a lot of additive manufacturing hardware in there, it's not just trying to be an additive manufacturing centre. It is advanced manufacturing. It's using whatever manufacturing technology best fits the application and really helping um, customers and companies to understand which technologies uh, fit fit best for them. Um, so with this enable manufacturing additive casting, you've got three types of casting technology. So the sand casting, which is for parts which are up to 60 tons, then investment casting for those more fine detail parts, uh, smaller ones, um, 250 by 250 by 250 uh, millimeters, and then investment casting as well for those ultra fine detail parts uh, measuring around 190 by 160 by 160 uh, millimeters. So we've seen this type of hybrid additive technology used before by the likes of Autodesk with, um, I think it was the Lightning Motorcycles um, cast parts were it didn't make sense for them to just make metal parts with direct 3D prints and it made much more sense to create um, to create a cast and then to, to really leverage the benefits of design additive manufacturing through making a cast but then casting the part in some off-the-shelf metal material or, or you know some kind of specific material there so and sometimes it can be much more cost effective as we know than using some kind of DMLS technology um, or similar so we've seen plenty of, of great examples of this before and we spoke to Kieran, as I mentioned, for our Through the Doors feature, and he talked a little bit about this additive casting and how uh, 3D printing metal parts isn't always the right solution, but quite often printing the tooling is. And then you can make this kind of homogenous part from a cast material rather than worrying about 
optimizing your materials for a specific laser powder bed process, things like that. So and um, Kieran said, we want to make sure we've got all of those bases covered and that we're focused on solving customers problems and not trying to force square pegs into round holes, which is so important. Thankfully, we're hearing of that a lot more now where people are not just trying to make additive fit because it's cool or because, you know, it's the, the next impressive kind of technology to use. It's really about helping people to understand where it fits in. And these hybrid processes are such an important part of that because they do really allow you to, to take those benefits of additive manufacturing in terms of um, part consolidation and in terms of um, creating these more like intricate strains, lightweight designs, which you couldn't produce otherwise, but do them in a way that is, is much more cost effective. And you can use materials that you are uh, more familiar with though. You know, you don't need to develop a specific material for the additive manufacturing process that you're using. So Sam, I mean, have you got any thoughts on the kind of the, the whole hybrid side of it with the additive casting? Well, I just think <clears throat> from my conversations with Kieran, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of years back, it, you know, I mean, the KW special product project started in motorsport and solely motorsport. And I think, their whole um idea and, and approach as you as you touched on was just you know they didn't use 3d printing because it was 3d printing they used it because it made sense to and i think um even though they see a lot of um you know applications for that technology they're not you know they're not solely just going to use that technology they're going to use it where it makes sense but if it makes sense to use a you know a more hybrid approach or just a subtractive traditional approach they will do because they're not they're not doing it just because it's 3D printing. It's, you know, it's to provide solutions to the likes of motorsport companies, aerospace companies, um, and that kind of thing. And it'll be, as you mentioned, it'll be great to go there <clears throat> when it opens later this year, but also a few years down the line when they've, you know, they've got applications to share and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, they've got enough expertise there. You know, we've, <clears throat> in the in the through the doors, excuse me article you touch on a few of the technologies they've got there and you know they've got everything they need it sounds like to to really deliver some some interesting case studies and that's the thing it's not just their production capabilities it's the fact that they are trying to build services around things like education for companies and also like young engineers too and I know they're quite keen to get universities and and schools in there as well to to help teach the next generation about advanced technologies and, and also just create this more modern image of what a, a career in advanced manufacturing looks like you know this is this facility or from what we've seen of it so far it's a very clean connected digital facility where um you know it's not it's, it's not kind of the traditional like i, I don't say just no kind of gray dirty like manufacturing environment i think people might visualize when they think of like a manufacturing facility but this is all very streamlined they've got renishaw who've um, used their renishaw and um, connect technology to really follow parts all the way through concept to all the way to inspection so it, everything is very much digitalized and as you said sam in a few years time when when this stuff has played out and we see any case studies that come out of it it, it will be really really interesting mm-hmm. um because i mentioned it so many times throughout this episode um i will of course just talk about the fact that we have just finished uh, both of our ttd magazines for europe and north america which are well we've got europe out now north america is still um, just going through production at the minute but i think by the time this podcast comes out you might just be a couple of days off before receiving it so i uh, just wanted to quickly run through some of the um some of the features we've got um in this issue 
as our main feature, uh, we're talking about something that we have spoke to so many companies about over the last few months, kind of um, emphasized by some of the challenges that we had last year, which was supply chain and the role of 3D printing in future supply chain. So Sam, you put this story together from various people that we'd spoken to in the industry, whether it was uh, vendors, software providers, end users, there were so many perspectives in this. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of some of the key takeaways that people can expect to, to read about? So I think the key the key takeaways I think were that um, as you as you'd probably expect a lot of people in the industry expect and anticipate that three D printing does have a role to play in, in future supply chains. You know, J and J saying they expect it to be a, a mainstay in, in what they do. Um, Forecast three D saying that they were actually a bit kind of maybe surprised that. Um, 3D printing was so dynamic when they were mm -hmm. using it through the pandemic, but they think that their main point was um, we spoke to um, their business development manager who's worked in supply chain for um, a couple of decades now, I think, and his his main point was that they were able to scale to the millions with um, some COVID-19 swabs, but doing it reactively. And mm -hmm. the point was that if, you know, if we did everything proactively, if we were not, you know, just doing everything at 100 miles an hour because we had to um and you know i think i think they were happy with who their partners were in those projects i think it, it mm -hmm. really worked well but they were saying that you know the sky's really the limit um but an another key takeaway came from um Ascentium saying that you know although that there are obviously um opportunities here for am supply chains take a, a do take a long time to re-engineer and, and restructure and you know we might be waiting a few years to really see the the benefits away from from all of the COVID applications we've been seeing over the last 12 months um mm -hmm. you know, that might take a while and obviously we had um Dr Jennifer Johns um providing a column just pointing out some of the kind of complexities as she did at her um TCT conference at Fall Next Connect talk, um, you know, the reshoring manufacturing is complex, it's often political, um, and these things don't happen like for like. Um, that mm -hmm. does offer opportunities up for AM because people will, in, in those scenarios, be looking at new technologies and it can probably play a role there. Um, and I think, um, you know, we, we, had, we had comments in there from Leo Lane and 3D Systems saying, things have got to change because you can't look at what happened in the last 12 months and, and think that your supply chains are okay and yeah. they work absolutely brilliantly. So we, you know, it's likely that we see change. There's plenty of opportunity there, but those changes might take a while to kind of come to fruition and to really see the benefit of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such an important topic and I'm glad we had the opportunity to cover it in such depth in, in, in this issue, particularly kind of going into the start of the year and hoping that people have learned the lessons from the challenges that we faced in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and else, elsewhere, we've talked about applications in creative industries. So um, jewelry and architecture with interviews with um, with actual um, lace founder, Jenny Wu, um, and also Imaginarium. Then we've got our software and simulation feature, which um, touching on some of the things we've actually spoken about today um, on the podcast, which mm -hmm. is um, find this interim processes and just how um, companies are really kind of ramping up the 
software capabilities to help maximize the technology's production capabilities and just really overcome some of the challenges in that process. Because as we've described, it is this multi-step process, which does create lots of obstacles for people. You've, you've really got to know what you're doing in terms of Sintra and, and understand the challenges that come with that. But thankfully, there are a lot of vendors now who are thinking around this and developing either their own solutions or solutions that can be used across industry. Sam, you also spoke to um, Hyperganic as well about the hmm. vision for the algorithm-based design. And you also had a conversation with Stratasys as well um, on enabling CMS stimulation with full-color 3D printing. Yeah, so they were kind of, I mean, they're kind of, um, opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, Stratasys um, working with Luxian is is all about enabling CMF uh, simulation, colour, material, finish um, in the kind of prototyping phases. And they were pointing out that while, um, you know, simulation technologies, um, are, you know, are useful in, in some scenarios, not every engineer, not every designer actually trusts that digital process, and they want to mm-hmm. they want to feel the part, they want to touch it, they want to see it in their hands before they they move into production, and and often they don't do that right until the end. And then if they have any changes, that, that you know it might have taken them weeks or months to get to that point. Whereas they want to bring that um, CMS simulation, you know, a lot earlier into the process, um, and and enable designers and engineers to kind of get through product development a lot quicker and then hyperganic we posted the the full length um interview on the website in the last couple of weeks it's all about really taking hold of ai and, and allowing algorithms to to produce parts for us and you you know it's kind of along the same lines of generative design but you're really you're building algorithms and then the algorithm doesn't just um you know spit out one part but it can spit out thousands of designs for the same part, but also you can take some of the characteristics within that algorithm and you can actually develop something completely different. Um, they were using the idea of a heat exchanger, which was, it looked like the bristles of a brush. Um, and that design was good for heat dissipation, but also um, the kind of the weight aspects and the weight bearing aspects of it enabled them to go and design completely different parts um, and they, you know that algorithm was only designed for the heat exchanger part, but it's it's taken in the direction of others. Um, there's a cycle helmet which they've not only used the scan data from a triathlete's head, but also pulled in statistical crash data, which basically would was relating to how a cyclist falls off their bike, and so they normally hit the side of their head, not the top of their head. So they had ventilation at the top of the helmet, but it was really strong and durable and protective on the sides. Um, and so all things like that and um you know they were hypercanical really honest as well about the challenges that you know um it's a, you know potentially a big shift for engineers but it's also at the moment not the easiest software to use and and really get the the full benefits out of so they're honest saying you know this is a, at the moment it's a vision they're, they are releasing the, the products this year but um, I think you know they're they're accepting that there's a long way to go with this as well, and that they they do need to kind of fine tune some aspects of the software. But it was a a really interesting conversation, um, and I'd encourage you to go and check out that article on the website. Yeah, it is a really interesting interview, and even just just the backstory. I, I know it's one of those pieces, Sam, where if you could have written about five thousand words about this, I'm sure you'd have had no problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we we'd set we'd set a 30 minute time frame for the conversation and we went well over an hour talking about it all um but yeah he's uh link is just an entrepreneur um he 
bought a 3D printer in 2012, but at that point he was working for Adobe. Adobe had bought out his previous company. He'd set up a company before that even in the 90s, I think, um, and, and started um, running his own businesses as a teenager at the age of 19. Um, he's got a really interesting backstory. Um, his uncle in the 70s and 80s set up the first private space company, so this kind of entrepreneurship obviously runs in the family um so yeah there's loads of interesting aspects to, to his story um he's a really interesting guy and they're, they're a really interesting company um just in the, in the issue we've also got stories on standards and certification uh, some big am news from from the last couple of months and also another expert advisory column uh, from industry consultant phil reed as well so uh, loads in this issue which you can go check out at tcmagazine.com but we'll also add a link to the digital version in the, the show description notes at the end. And I think that's just about everything then. We've done just over half an hour, which isn't too bad. No, I mean, we could have gone for a, probably over an hour talking about some of the stuff. And I know we've left a few things out, but um, just obviously go to the website and read it all there. Um, you know, just in the last few days, Mark Forge have gone public. Um, 3D Systems are working with Jable to release a new machine. Um, and there's plenty more that I'm probably forgetting. So yeah. Um, go over to the website for more i would i would say so thanks very much for listening uh you can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms and make sure you listen out for the next episode which features an interview uh with nora teray who is the founder of winning 3d printing i've had a really great conversation with her just a few days ago now and i can't wait to publish that episode so uh, stay tuned for more additive manufacturing insights go to 2ctmagazine.com to subscribe to our free newsletter and also to get your free print copy of tct magazine delivered straight to your door plus the digital edition Thanks very much. I'll see you again soon. Bye. And now a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial-grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program, and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software, which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash Ultimaker pod.